Hello there, my name is Sophia. Welcome to the 2045 podcast. If you're new to this podcast, well, I should definitely introduce myself first. I am an ambitious teenager working on synthetic biology projects and just recently got into artificial intelligence as well. And now, speaking of artificial intelligence, today's episode is going to be about technology, blockchain, machine learning, robotics, and problem solving. So you know that this podcast is kind of holistic in that sense. It's not only technology, it's not only growth, it's also problem solving and impacting people through emerging technologies. So the name of our guest is Lishba Imran. She's a young innovator working at the intersection of the technologies that I've just mentioned. You can actually check out our website, lishbaimran.com, while you're listening to this episode. So you can kind of give yourself a, a sense of this of these projects and what they mean and well, you know, just her whole world. But just in case you can't check out her website right now, I'm just going to give a brief introduction to her. She's worked uh, on projects with Walmart and Kidogo in the past. She's also interned with the TD Bank and CIBC, where she's created a new product to secure the information of clients such as financial information, personal information. She is currently working on Voltex, a machine learning software to accelerate the testing of energy storage devices from three months to three days. She's also a developer at Hanson Robotics. Her research has been funded by the Mason Foundation Masayson Foundation and the results will be published alongside San Jose University in early 2021, meaning this year she is an incoming program success intern at the Knowledge Society and, well, the curriculum can keep on going for a long while, but without further ado, let's get started. All right, so I just started recording. I'm gonna try to do this as authentic as possible, you know, not editing that much. So welcome Elishba to this episode. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. So I'm gonna try to make it as, you know, valuable as possible. Also for the people who are listening. So we are gonna be speaking and talking a little bit about Elishba's projects that have to do with machine learning, blockchain, and how they are used to solve some of the world's biggest problems. Elushba is a really young person. I think you're 17, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But anyways, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. For sure. So I guess that we can start talking about your projects, your machine learning projects, and how you got interested in this area in the first place. So how all of this started for you, your journey in solving the world's biggest problems by using emerging technologies. Yeah, definitely. For me, like throughout high school, I think I was always really interested in just like solving problems um, and just like learning about the world. Like I was always, I just always needed and wanted to do something. Like for me in high school, that meant like just doing a lot of volunteering and I was a part of a lot of clubs throughout high school. Um, and then like eventually I just didn't feel very satisfied like with, with just doing, um, just doing that, right? Like just doing school and just doing clubs. And so um, I started to join just like robotics clubs at my school. And, I, and so I got heavily involved in like the teams, um, building like the actual robot. And that's like what kind of piqued my interest in just technology in general. And I like the process of being able to build physical systems and then like take them apart. 
Um, but I think it wasn't really until uh, I did TCAS, which is the program we're both a part of, like that I started to just learn about these other technologies that were, just, in my opinion, a lot more interesting. And I, and I actually got to work on applying them to real problems, which for me was really interesting. And so when I did the program, I started out with blockchain um, and that's where I identified a problem in developing countries where nearly like 40 to 50% of the medication that people consume is actually counterfeit. Um, and so I developed this platform that essentially tracks that medication and supply chain to be able to catch uh, if there is any sort of counterfeit entering into the supply chain. Um, and so I got to work on that with IBM blockchain. And then throughout that process, I also got to apply some of my blockchain skills at TD Bank, um, where I was looking at specifically applications and digital identity and using all of this client data that they had to actually um, provide services and connect with third parties um, to provide them services within the bank and outside of the bank. Um, and then in that process, I also started to get into machine learning. Um, and that's what I'm kind of heavily focused on, as you said, right now. Um, so I'm working on kind of two main things, one of which is working on a product for energy storage systems. So developing a machine learning algorithm that accelerates the testing time for things like batteries and supercapacitors uh, much quicker. And then I'm also working on some research right now with Hanson Robotics and San Jose State University to develop uh, uh, new tools for, uh, new AI tools basically for robotic manipulation and uh, applying those to prosthetics. So that's just kind of a, a quick overview of, of every sort of main project that I've, I've completed. That sounds so interesting. Um, now, I'm not sure about the background, you know, the professional background of people who are listening to this episode. So I can maybe also ask you the question of how would you describe blockchain to a five-year-old? So blockchain is, it's, I think a lot of people, when you hear that term, you might think about like Bitcoin. Yeah. Or like even just, crypto, yeah, like cryptocurrency. And so that's actually, that's just an application of blockchain. Um, and that's just kind of one niche of this broader area of blockchain. And so really the way I like to think about blockchain is there's a lot of different reasons why it's interesting. But I think the main thing that makes it so different is this idea of like decentralization. Um, and essentially, if you think about really any systems at like a, a macro level in our world, like you think about the government, you think about our banking system, it's always kind of authorized by this single group of people or the single authority, um, right? When you go through a bank and you're sending someone money, who always have to go through that bank, right? That bank is almost like the middle person between you and that person you want to send that money to. Um, and so there's always a single authority that's kind of there, this middleman that exists. But what blockchain allows you to do is essentially remove that. And so you're on this completely different decentralized platform that's controlled by these nodes are controlled by these other entities um, in a way that there is no single authority, but there is still, you know, regulation and there's still a way to make sure that the data that you're transferring is very secure. And that's through, you know, different encryption methods that exist usually. But um, I'd say that's one of the, I guess, interesting thoughts that blockchain brings in a lot of people like Naval and other thought leaders talk a lot about this technology and really how it can almost transform and create this new future um, where we are living in a world that's like completely decentralized or fractionalized. 
You know, I was one of those people who thought that blockchain was only useful for cryptocurrencies, you know, like Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I don't know what other cryptocurrencies there are in the market right now, but the thing is that thanks to a TKS session, I also discovered that they can also have applications in the healthcare industry, in anything that pretty much involves the transaction of data and it is meant to decentralize data, as you say so, and keep it as safe as possible. Now, moving on to your other projects, tell us more about this intersection that you made between machine learning and robotics and prosthetics and 3D printing. Yeah, um, that was, so that project specifically, we were looking at, um, like, I'm working with Handsome Robotics, and so they uh, are essentially, like, trying to create the future of what humanoids would be. But I think a lot of people have this perception uh, of like robots and, and like humanoids in general, like it's a very scary concept, right? And, and, I, and I get that, but yeah. they're kind of a whole aspect is more this social um, aspect. So they're really focusing on like, how do humans actually feel when they're interacting with robots and how do we enhance that, um, that interaction in you know ways using engineering or using different tools but with the goal of really help, like enhancing human life, right? Not like replacing human life. And so, um, mm -hmm. we've I've been working on actually developing uh, different tools there. Like we're we're you know working on mechanical side of things where we're developing different facial features and different skin types for uh, like Sophia, which is their humanoid. But we're also what I've been focused on is more the actual manipulation techniques. So as you have a robot, like as humans, it's really easy for us to just like. I don't know, grab grab keys from our pocket. But if you gave a robot that task, it's actually very complex. There's uh, a lot of things involved, like you have to plan, um, you know, how, how does that robot actually get there? What are like the joints movements that need to go into that, the, the actual path planning, um, the motion planning, and there's just so much involved. So I've actually been working on developing techniques uh, using different algorithms there. And so similarly to that, I've actually been working on applying that to prosthetics because that's another huge issue in prosthetics is that they're actually really hard to use today. Um, and so it's also a manipulation problem. And so I am working on, at a high level, kind of applying similar techniques um, to prosthetics. I'm curious to know your opinion on innovation between different fields of knowledge and between different technologies. So for example, for these prosthetic, you must have used something or you could have used something like 3D printing as well as machine learning. And who knows, even uh, technologies such as brain-computer interfaces, which um, we probably want to dive very deep into, but it's another possibility. So what do you think about kind of this this idea of innovating between different fields, I guess. Yeah, I think for me, like it's always been about what is like the actual problem that I'm tackling, and then how do I work from there, right? You don't want to have like a solution oriented mindset where you're approaching everything with like, okay, this is a technology. Yeah. How do I just like throw that onto a problem, right? You want to start with the problem and then backtrack and think about um, what would actually make sense, right? I think sometimes that is at the intersection of those technologies. And, and definitely there's there's way less people working at the intersection of, you know, 3D printing, AI, and BCIs than there are maybe just working in BCIs, for example. 
And so that puts you in a very unique position to find unique solutions to those problems. But again, it's not about piling on all of these technologies onto a problem that doesn't need them. Um, right, like even in the example that you mentioned where you said prosthetics and you mentioned like 3D printing, AI and VCI, all of those things serve a very different purpose in terms of what they're actually solving in that problem, right? Like BCIs are often used more for um, essentially helping amputees feel again, um, because when you do when you do get amputated, you can't really feel your movements anymore. If you're touching something, you can't sense that. And so BCIs are more based on helping recover that sense in your in your brain and that perception, versus AI or at least the way I'm applying it is more around manipulation. So it's actually just helping the person use the prosthetic in a much more natural way and in a, in a much easier way. Um, and then 3D printing, like that, the purpose of that is to just reduce the cost. And so there's a whole other sector of research that's looking at, you know, how do we develop materials that don't degrade very quickly? Because you're using these prosthetics on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and often they degrade because if they're cheap, they just don't last as long as like, let's say aluminum. Um, and so lots of different research in that sector itself. So I think the intersection can be very interesting, but then again, I do want to highlight, you should not be focused on the solution, but more on the problem and then figuring out what is the best way to solve that problem. Absolutely. I think that I can actually resonate a lot with the opposite thought. So kind of trying to feed a problem to a solution instead of the opposite way so, for example, I think that this mistake can be done more easily if you're just getting started and learning about a technology. So, for example, for me, it may be easier to say I want to do I want to build something with AI instead of trying to find a problem. And then, you know, maybe by serendipity, finding out that AI can be used to solve it. Um, so if that makes sense, I, I would say that maybe what you're suggesting and what makes more sense actually is um, knowing what problem you want to solve and kind of mapping the characteristics of that problem. And after that, identifying which technology can help you come up with a solution for it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think if it's, if it's a multifaceted problem where there are like different aspects of it, then that might make sense. But I think the general approach should be more of like, okay, I have this very broad problem. Um, how do I just break this problem down? Right. And, and that's like the thing I think a lot of people don't do from what I've noticed is like, they will come up with this very general statement of a problem. Um, and they're like, I want to solve this, but it's like, what is that? What does that even mean? Right? Like you need a very specific area or problem that acts as like almost the root cause or the main reason why that problem exists. And so to get down to that, I think you have to do a lot of digging and breaking the problem down, right? And then once you've breaking it down, there's often like one sort of main root cause and you sometimes there will be multiple root causes, right? And um, like in my head, I almost like to create a mind map. Like I was actually doing, oh, recently I was doing a sprinting to climate change and I was looking into the different aspects of climate change and climate change is one area that's very multifaceted, right? Like you have yeah. agricultural, you have industrial. So I looked into every industry, but I kept in mind, like each root cause that I find doesn't have the, the same magnitude of impact, right? Like solving one problem in industrial that will completely change the way factories work will have a much greater impact than maybe just changing 
a little thing. And, and I mean, in terms of maybe just like a short term kind of impact, but so for, that's just something I keep in mind is like, yes, there might be multiple kind of, I guess, causes or, or things that you're trying to solve, but always make sure you know what is the actual magnitude of that solution and is that the best solution um, to that problem. Um, and so in that sense, don't just jump right to the technology, right? Sometimes there's also solutions that are not technology based. It's just a simple like, I don't know, SaaS solution, right? And, yeah. and so I think often when you're thinking from that problem solving, more of like, I want to actually make this a real solution, you don't just jump to that, you jump to what is the actual root causes, what has the biggest impact, what exists today, and what are the gaps that I can actually fill, and what is the best way to fill those gaps. I think that one of your recent projects is related to testing batteries or improving the way that, the, that we test batteries by using machine learning. You can definitely tell us more about the technical aspects of this, but I want to target this question towards how do you find a root cause of a problem? How, like, what was your mental process for identifying the root cause of this problem? Yeah. So the product is um, essentially like the solution that we've come up with. I'll start with the solution and then I'll, I'll go into like how we actually came to the problem um, and then eventually the solution. But the solution that we're working on is essentially like today energy storage devices. So if you think about batteries and supercapacitors, they take a very long time to test anywhere from like three months to a year. Um, and so I'm actually working with a, with a team to develop a product that just reduces that time for these manufacturers that are actually doing this testing. Um, and so because they last, like super capacitors, batteries, they last anywhere from like five to 10 years, um, sometimes more than that, the tests just take very long. And so if you're doing that manually in a lab setting, that ends up actually being a very long resource heavy and uh, like time and money uh, and like capital extensive. So that's why this was a problem that you know, we validated, we talked to manufacturers and we saw there was a need. Um, and the way we kind of came to that problem was we did a sprint of just, like we just looked into energy storage generally because that was the area that we were very interested in because energy storage is fundamental to the reason why we aren't able to use renewables today. And so we looked into different systems like hydro pumps, uh, flywheels, like batteries and then super capacitors. And we just broke down the systems and the entire value chain. So not just like the chemistry of how that battery is created, but from all the way from like actually manufacturing that battery um, to, you know, selling it and, and it being in production and in devices or at grid level energy storage. And so what we've commonly saw as we broke this down and we tried to really think about the root cause and we just really broke down like why was this happening? Like for everything that we found until we really couldn't answer the why anymore. Like, that was just the reason, right? And so we commonly saw that like there was this lag in the production time. And why was there a lag? Like we weren't sure. And so how we validated that at that stage was to reach out to experts. Um, and so I, I totally recommend like when you are at a stage where you have initial hunch, make sure you reach out to people because that will tell you if you're going into something that's completely like useless or if it if it actually has some substance. So. When we spoke to people, we validated that it was a problem um, and that just led us to going deeper into it, understanding the testing process. And that's really how we we realized there's no solution today really for 
solving this problem other than, you know, physics-based models or equations that are very, very complex and don't really give you a, a, an exact estimation today. So that is how we came to ML actually being a, a good solution for the problem. All right, and now just out of curiosity, which were some of the factors that you analyzed about the batteries with machine learning? Yeah, so when a cell degrades, so the, the test, just for context, are basically just measuring like, when will this cell die, right? Like if I have a battery and I'm putting it into a specific application, which means like it's in this very specific environment, under a very specific voltage and temperature that this battery is going to be constantly used at, at what point will it actually die? So like how many years down the line um, is it gonna fully degrade? And so when you're testing for that in laboratories, you're basically measuring two things, which is uh, capacitance um, and ESR. So capacitance is like how much, basically how much energy can the cell actually store? And so that usually degrades over time. And then ESR is, um, like it, it's like resistance and that basically just increases. So those two factors tell you when a cell will die essentially. And so today they will test the cell at a specific voltage and temperature, and then they'll set it at a specific capacitance rating. Um, but essentially they're just trying to see at those specific measurements, what happens to the cell. Now, if I change the temperature, if I increase it, let's say what actually happens to the cell then? Um, so they'll kind of do these different, um, I guess, tests and different um, types of values for the for the test to see what happens to the cell. But that again takes very long because you're testing the full lifetime of that cell, which is very long. Um, and so that is what our ML model is basically doing. It's using the first two um, inputs um, that a cell has. So it's just, instead of having to do the full lifetime, let's say that's 4,000 hours, we would just need like 100 hours of testing data. We use that data to then predict what actually happens to the capacitance and ESR curve um, over, over time. And so through that, you're able to change, again, voltage, temperature, see what actually happens to the cell. Um, and so we have a model that does that prediction. To me, this sounds very revolutionary, especially since, from my perspective at least, it seems like you've giving, uh, you're giving a very simple solution, you know, quote-unquote simple solution, to a problem that could have been seen as much more complex. So I guess it's, as you say, so a matter of asking why, 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 and why until you find the root cause of the problem that could actually be easier to solve right? Yeah, definitely. And I think like being in the space or actually starting to build something is like a really good forcing function because it helps you almost validate your own assumptions. And it's like, I think going into a solution, you're almost so naive where you don't actually know what could go wrong or what are the things I'm missing, right? Like you, you don't know what you don't know. And so... Yeah. As we even, as we're going through this, like we're learning so much every day in terms of like things that we still need to figure out or, um, you know, are there things that we're maybe not accounting for that we should be accounting for? So we're continuously learning and like iterating on that um, because again, this is a complex industry and because of the fact that these cells are chemistry based, there is a lot of like chemistry involved in the cells. And so yeah. making sure that we understand that really well and make sure that our model can also 
understand that to get a very good result is like our goal, right? And so we're continuously still working on that. But I think actually validating your assumptions, a great way to do that is through actually talking to people in the space and then, you know, trying to build something and then see, see where that takes you. Awesome. And you've already mentioned some pieces of advice, but I want to ask you once again, which would be your piece of advice for somebody, regardless of their age, their background, where they live? Because I'm sure that everybody who's listening to this episode and has gotten up to this point of the episode can consider your advice extremely valuable. You know, you're a young person who has built some really cool projects. So in short, which would be your advice for a person who wants to build something? I think for any like young person that wants to get started on anything, like it doesn't have to be tech, it can really be anything they're interested in. I think the biggest thing I always say, and it's like a very cliche, like you hear it all the time, but for me, I think I really believe in this. And it's like making sure you just spend a lot of time doing different things. Because I think when you're young, you, you have, first of all, you have the time. And if you do fail or you do something and you don't like it and you move on, no one's really going to question you, right? Like you have that freedom to make mistakes and you have that time to also do that. Yeah. Um, I would say like try different things because I think more important than knowing what you do like, it's actually knowing what you don't like. Um, because when you know what you don't like, then you can actually be more focused and prioritize your time and energy into things that you know make you happy or fuel your energy. And so that's like one of my biggest things is, is try different things. And with the intention of figuring out what do I not like, what do I naturally, you know, do, and it just lowers my energy. I don't feel happy or excited about it. And what are the things that I do where I do actually feel excited or I feel more energetic. And so I think that's, that's something I would totally recommend is, is do that. And then the, the second thing I would say is like, make sure you like just reach out to people and I, and this is like another one of those things that I've realized because I've been talking to a lot of different people during during this time and everyone almost has this conception in their head that like nobody wants to talk to them or nobody wants to help them but like that's that's not the reality I think when you do actually reach out to people you'll find that most people are receptive to you reaching out or to you wanting help yeah. Um, so my biggest advice is like, if you are starting in a space and you need mentorship or guidance, try to connect with people who you want to be like, or people that you even just look up to, um, and try to get their advice in terms of like what they would do, um, or as you're doing different things and you're experimenting, ask them for what they would recommend. Um, and that's something I find because usually when you do start something new, there's a lot of ambiguity, right? Like you can take so many different paths, but if you have kind of a clear or a general idea of like what you want to be like or your end result or your goal is, I think you can often find a lot of people that are already doing that thing or in that space and you can get good guidance from them to help guide you in the right direction. Yeah, I'm just going to jump in here because I don't think that people stress enough the importance of having a good network. So definitely a really good piece of advice. Yeah, 100%. And it's not even just like a formal network. It's really just like even just a support system, right? And that's kind of my last piece of advice also is just to find like a support system. And that could be, you know, communities where there are young people interested in similar things to you. 
uh, or even just formulating things, right? And I, a lot of people, because you live in, um, and the way even you framed the question is like, regardless of where you live or you know what you, you're interested in, I think a lot of people, you know, because you might live in a certain area or because you aren't doing something specifically, you feel like you're disadvantaged um, because like there might not be a program out there for you or a community out there for you readily available. But I think usually you can even formulate that yourself, especially with everything being remote. There's so many communities online and I'm sure if you dig enough like Reddit or on Twitter, like you can definitely find those groups of people that you connect with. So create that support system, whether that's like a formal network or even just like friends and people that can hold you accountable, that you can look up to and um, can support you as you're as you're doing different things. That's so true. Like you can tell that I was on Twitter about a year ago and I was this teenager who lived in Mexico and wanted to connect with other teenagers. Well, by the way, I didn't even know that there were other teenagers who were like-minded by that time. But, you know, thanks to Twitter, I discovered the Knowledge Society, which is the, you know, program that we are both now part of. So I, I can't tell by experience that connecting with others online, it's definitely a really important and piece of advice to keep in mind. And of course, you can also create your own online community, which is something that I've seen other young and older people do, which yeah, also goes hand in hand with that. Yeah, I think it's about like, I like the word like, I don't know, make, being magnetic or like even just like putting out a bat signal, which is like, okay, this is like who I am. This is like what I'm interested in. I think if you if you showcase that and you kind of reach out to people, you become magnetic, right? You either create those opportunities for yourself or you attract people that will will be similar to you or actually really like what you're doing. And so I think make sure you do that. Like make sure you reach out because you you have to do that for yourself and no one's really gonna often when you're when you are starting out, like no one's just gonna reach out to you and be like, hey, like I, I heard you were doing this, like let me do this for you, let me help you usually you have to kind of take that initiative. And so I think always think about it as like, how can I be this magnetic person where I attract people and communities around me or I build those communities? Awesome. Now I'm afraid that the podcast uh, episode is coming to an end. Not the 2045 podcast, just this podcast. But Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here, sharing these knowledge drops and, you know, giving us a brief description of what you're working on. Hopefully more than one person can get inspired but by all this, all these projects and all these frameworks for trying to solve the world's biggest problems and you know I do recognize that I wasn't able to ask you those many technical questions but I can encourage people who are listening to reach out to you to visit your website so they can tell by themselves how cool your projects are and uh, yeah I suppose that you are open to connecting with people listening yeah, for sure. I'm always open to connecting on Twitter, email, LinkedIn, um, any of that. Feel free to reach out. 
and we are out of the call with Alishba, but for you who got till the end of this episode, thank you so much for choosing to learn about the future, mindsets, technology, unicorn people, people who impact more than a billion people. That's what the 2045 podcast is about. And don't forget that we have a Twitter and an Instagram account, so follow us there at 2045podcast. I'll see you in the next one. Bye.